Nehemiah. We are in chapter 9, Nehemiah. If you didn't bring a Bible tonight, grab one from under a seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you after the service. Nehemiah chapter 9. We are at the point now as we continue to study through this. And again, as I've mentioned at the beginning, historically, in the Old Testament, what is recorded for us in Old Testament history, we're rapidly approaching the end of that. Um, We're just a couple of chapters. Once we get to the end of Nehemiah, then we have that period of silence historically before before the Gospels begin, before, you know, the, the, the book of Matthew and the, the Gospels record is there. Historically, we're coming to the end of the Old Testament. You know, as far as you look at the pages that we have to go, we got a little bit more to cover. Um, but uh, so we're coming to the end of that. The children of Israel have, have been allowed to return by their captives, by the Babylonians, but they've been allowed to return to the the the. the the nation of Israel, the land of Israel, to the city of Jerusalem. We saw them come back uh, through with Zerubbabel and Ezra to reestablish and build the temple. But with Nehemiah now, the walls have been rebuilt. The gates have been hung. The, the city now is, is, is back into it, becoming again the city that it was before. And the people are now having a place where they can come back. And we talked last time. In chapter 8, we, we talked about the great part about it, and we mentioned that in verse, verse 1 um, of chapter 8, where they called, the, they called Ezra and said, bring out the book. Bring out the word of God. And they, they said, you know, we need to hear the word of God. And Ezra got up and read the word of God, and it was explained to them, and, and that type of thing. And we saw that, you know, that it was translated to them. They ex- understood it and the foundation, and we talked about that. And that's where we're continuing with that, because we talked about... For hours during the day, Ezra would read the word of God to the people. They were receiving it, and and it was just this glorious celebration. And we continue now in in chapter 9. That was on the first day of this month. Now It says now on the 24th day of this month. So for over three weeks, this has been going on. It says, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dirt upon them. The descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day, three hours. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. We talked last time again as the, the celebration that came initially again as they were hearing God's word and, and celebrating the fact that again, God's word foundationally once again for the children of Israel. But we see now that, that, that they're coming to this other part and as we work our way through these next couple of chapters, we see the effect now that it is having on them and, and we're gonna see the glorious outcome of this as we get to the end of this chapter but they're spending time in God's word and hearing God's law. And it tells us that they come under great conviction. Notice in verse one, it says, with fasting and sackcloth and dirt upon themselves. Those were outward, outward ways of demonstrating humility and brokenness. Fasting, sackcloth, literally putting on, if you would, burlap clothing. Not the re- there's a reason that's not sold in stores today. I mean, it's not, nobody would buy it. It's not comfortable. It wasn't for comfort. It was actually for <laughs> discomfort. 
and then to put dirt on themselves. Again, this outward outpouring. And it, it wasn't just some external thing to try to say, hey, God, look at, look at this. Look at, how, look at how holy we're being. This was truly coming from, from broken hearts as they, as they heard God's word and realized how far their, their forefathers had, had wandered away the reason why they were sent off into captivity as they read the law and understood, again, in God's holiness. But notice again, as they, a fourth of the day, they were, they were reading God's word. And then for a fourth of the day, they, they worshiped God and, and confessed to God. And guys, as, if we seriously take what they, what they did and we apply that in our own lives, Spending time in the word of God every day. Worshiping God. Spending time in worship every day. Now, worship, again, doesn't just mean, you know, what, 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 what we just finished doing, singing. Although I do encourage that. Put on, you know, have a, have a good this worship songs, whatever you, you enjoy, whatever genre that might be as far as if it's like, like this or more contemporary or, or whatever that might be. But those songs that bring you into that intimate place with the Lord of worshiping him. When you do that, the Lord is going to work on your heart. There's going to be things that you work through and, and there will be those things that, that, that just come out. And guys, let me just, let me just tell you this. Be honest with God when you're in those times. It doesn't do any good to put on a, 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 a fake face, a, a, a different type of thing. If God's working on something in your life, if, if you're going through a time of doubt in your life, tell the Lord that. Share that with the Lord. I'm going to let you in on something. He knows already. He already understands. Disappointment. Maybe there's somebody here tonight that is going through something in their life that has caused them even to be angry with God. Let me tell you, he knows that already. And he's not, he's not waiting to just pound you. As a matter of fact, he's waiting for you to confess that to him. To come before him and say, God, I don't understand why I'm going through what I'm going through. And I got to be honest, I, I don't like it. When we do that and when we are open before the Lord, that allows, that allows the Spirit of God as Christians to minister with our spirit within us when we are open before the Lord. It's not, it's not a, it doesn't mean that it's okay to stay there. I'm telling you that that's the first step to get out of there. Admit that that's where you are. God, I, I'm hurting, and I don't, I don't understand this. And then you go again, spending time in God's word and in, in the promises of God as, as we know that he'll never leave us or forsake us. And, and even in our times, and we'll get into that as we go through this now, that, that the Lord will meet us in those places. And then you, th those, those verses will come to mind. The Holy Spirit bring to remembrance those things, you know, that taking every thought captive and surrendering it to Christ. Lord, this is what I'm feeling right now, but I take this and I surrender it to you. And in prayer, the Bible says that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If we will simply be obedient and bring those things to the Lord, God does amazing things in and through us. If we will simply, again, confess our sin. First John, John writes this. 
Most of you know these verses, beginning in verse 5, 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we're going before him, again, in his word, there's going to be, the, he is light. He'll reveal those things in our lives. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's where they came to this point. They, they come to this point in their worship and in their study, confessing their sin, confessing, worshiping the Lord. Verse 4, now on the Levite's platform stood Joshua, Benai, Kedmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Bani, Chenani, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kedmiel, Benai, Heshbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pathaniah said, Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. This, in the, as we do this, and, and arise now and bless the Lord. Now, as we begin halfway through verse 5 here to the end of this chapter, verse 38 is the longest recorded prayer in all of Scripture. This is a prayer that they go before the Lord with. And there's, some, there's some great things as we move through this, but the longest recorded prayer in all of Scripture is here for us, beginning in the middle of verse 5. Arise, bless the Lord forever and ever. Oh, may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all above all blessing and praise, your name, O Lord. You, O Lord, higher than all things. Verse six, you alone are the Lord. Guys, it is always a good place to start there in our prayer. I know we like to kind of blow past that at times and jump right into our list. <laughs> but it's always great to start right here. Who it is that, we're, that we are coming before who it is that we are dialoguing with in our prayer. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven and the, uh, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them and the heavenly hosts bow down before you. Paul, when he was writing to the church, in Colossae, speaking of the Lord Jesus, said, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Again, guys, this is a great place to start every morning, every evening, every time we go before the Lord in prayer. Who it is we're talking with, who it is that we have an audience with every time we go to the throne of grace, almighty creator God, the one who, who created all things. And as Paul tells us in Colossians, he's the one who holds everything together, the sustainer of all things. 
I think it's hilarious whenever I see in a headline anywhere new scientific discovery. I just, that just cracks me up. You know, it's just like all of these brilliant minds are finally taking one step closer to understanding something that God created all that time ago. New scientific discovery. That's got to make God chuckle, don't you think? The one who, the one who wrote every scientific law, the one who upholds every scientific law, and by the way, the one who can interfere with any one of those at any given time. The one who spoke to the wind and the waves on the Sea of Galilee and said, be still and instantly, not a whisper. The one who made the sun stand still in the sky, the one who, upon, upon a request, backed it up, yeah, it's, it wouldn't be that big a deal to make it move forward. It does that all the time, every day. Lord, would you make it back up a couple of steps, the sun on the, the shadow on the steps? Sure. Things that, again, just baffle the scientific mind. I just went back through this again because it's one of those things I remember that, that science has no answer. No answer. Still to this day, all of the time they've spent studying and the more we understand even and get further and further and further breaking down the cell. I mean, that was a big deal. The atom they thought for a long time was the smallest thing. And then they realized, oh, wait, there's stuff inside those atoms. And when they understood more about those protons, positively charged elements, neutrons that are around those neutrally charged they're in the, in the center of the atom, and around the outside of that are electrons all within this microscope, and those are, those are negatively charged particles. But then when they, they don't understand, okay, wait a second, this clump of positively charged particles that is together, what is holding those together? Because things that have the same charge, like if you have a magnet, you put both the same ends of a magnet together, what happens? They push away. I mean, you, as soon as you let go, they push away. Well, how in the world is that going? And what if you flip the magnets around, what happens? They go, whoop, right? So what's keeping that, that positively charged or negatively charged electron from going right into the, the other side? What, they, science still has no answer for that. It says it right here. He's the one who's holding it all together. Every, every, Every molecule, everything, he holds it all together. He's the one who, who sustains everything. I heard today, this I wasn't in my notes, so I'm going to loosely, yeah, I, I won't be able to do it like I heard it, but just one of those things to, to uh, just, I've been thinking about it all day long. The one who holds every molecule together was the one who held every molecule of the crown of thorns together as it was crushed into his head. Held every nerve ending together so that it would not, he, he at any time could have stopped all of that. And he did that for you and me. He's the one who holds it all together. You feel like your life is coming apart. You feel like your marriage is coming apart. You feel like whatever it is that's coming apart, go to the one who holds it all together. He is the one 
And that's where they, that's where this prayer starts. You give life to all of them. The heavenly hosts bow down before you. You, verse 7, are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of out from Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You chose Abram and not again because Abram was searching for God. Not because Abram was was one who had separated himself from everybody, all of the other idol worshipers in Ur. No. Abram was an idol worshiper in Ur, and God chose him. God, God chose him, brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Verse 8, you found his heart faithful before you. Not always his actions. Study the life of, of Abraham, and he, there were several times when there were some big oopses in Abraham's life and lack of faith and, and doing things and, and well-documented. but his heart faithful before you. Chose Abram. If you were here this weekend, we talked about the fact that as Christians, as, as, as believers, born-again believers, the Bible tells us, and we looked at that in Romans 8 this weekend, that before the creation of the world, God chose us. God chose to place his love on us, and not because we were somehow super special and, and all of that kind of stuff. No, we were, we were just like Abram. Why did God choose me? Why did he choose you? I don't have any idea. I just praise God he did. Just like they are here. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for choosing Abram because through that, you know, they, they didn't choose, he didn't choose Abram because he was, he was Jewish. Because there was no such thing as, as a Jew yet. <laughs> Abram, that was the descendants of, of Abraham would be the Jewish people that, you know, through his son Isaac. You found his heart faithful before you. I, again, not, not because his heart was, was special. Again, what God did in his life, what God did in and through him. Made a covenant with him. God made the covenant. I love this. Again, you chose Abram, Abraham, all of these things. Again, not because of what he did before and the things that are recorded. When we go to Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament and we, and we see the life of Abraham there, the hall of faith, we call it in, in Hebrews 11, and we look at, the, at him, it talks about this great man of faith. It doesn't mention the fact that, that that faith wavered greatly. And when there was a famine, he went, into, went to Egypt against God. God didn't tell him to go. He went. And when he got on the way there, he told his wife, he said, hey, you know what? When we get there, tell them you're my sister, just in case they want to kill me to, to have you. Just, just you tell them you're my sister. Solid, solid advice. <laughs> they, through all of that, I mean, again, you know the story. Several, several missteps along the way for Abraham. None of that recorded in Hebrews 11. Just talks about his faith, great man of faith. I love that. It tells me that, you know, what happens in Genesis stays in Genesis. God doesn't see that anymore. And again, as he looks at us, 
He sees his son. We're clothed in his righteousness. Found his heart to be faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanite, of the Hittite, of the Amorite, of the Perizzite, of the Jebusite, of the Gergesite, to give it to his descendants. And note this, and you fulfilled your promise. Note this, for you are righteous. You fulfilled your promise for you are righteous. Guys, God does what he does because he is who he is. You fulfilled your promise because you're righteous. You fulfilled your promise because you're holy. You fulfilled your promise because you can't make a promise that you don't fulfill. And that's the same God who made the promises to us. And they will come true because he is who he is. worshiping this God as they, as they begin this prayer. Verse 9, you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. Then you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of this land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly toward them and made a name for yourself as it is this day. You saw the afflictions? You saw what was going through, what your people were dealing with. You heard their prayer, and you responded. Guys, God sees everything. God sees what you're going through. He sees the difficulty and the struggle that you're in. He sees when you, when you speak out for him. He sees when you make a stand for him for righteousness' sake. He sees when you give that cup of cold water in his name. He sees all of it. He sees everything. Now, depending on where you stand in your relationship with the Lord, that's either really good news or really bad news. I hope I'm speaking to a room full of people that look at that as really good news. He sees everything. And he hears. He hears your cry. Even when you don't think he, he's hearing you, even when you think that, that your, your prayer is falling on deaf ears, no, he hears your prayer. And he's interceding. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Even when we don't know how to pray, even when we just cry out in our prayers something like, ah! Tells us that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. With groanings too deep for words, it says. And it says that the Holy Spirit intercedes according to the perfect will of God for our lives. Then you performed all sorts of signs and wonders against Pharaoh. Verse 11, you divided the sea before them, so they passed through the midst of the sea on dry ground, and their pursuers you hurled into the depths like a stone into raging waters. Verse 11 does away with any of that, that theory that tries to explain what took place at the parting of the Red Sea with trying to fit that, that miracle into our minds. There's, they've been trying to scientifically prove how, you know, how this could have happened with, way, with 
with force of wind and all of this kind of stuff. And, and they, they've come to this thing. And again, believe it or not, it's people that are trying to prove the Bible that, that say, okay, that it, there's this place called the Reed Sea, not the Red Sea, the Reed Sea. And it's kind of a marshy swamp. And, and it's, you know, it can get about 18 inches of water in that. And, and they've said, you know, with the right amount of wind at the right direction for the right amount of time, it could push all of that back enough and far enough so that the people, the, the children of Israel could get by and da, 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 da. really. Well, that, I don't know what's a bigger miracle to you. God parting the Red Sea, children of Israel going through or that the Pharaoh and his entire army drowned in 18 inches of water. I don't, whatever's a bigger miracle to you, you you take your choice. But this this proves that, that again, divided the sea, going through on dry ground, by the way, not marshy, swampy ground, dry ground, and the the pursuers you hurled into the depths, drowned in the depths of of the Red Sea. And by the way, guys, it's, I, I like the fact that my God can part the Red Sea and have them go through on dry ground. That's the God I cry out to when I need the sea parted in front of me. When I need a miracle in my life, I don't want somebody to be able to say, well, let me see how I can explain that. No, I, I worship the God of incredible miracles. Again, the one who, with his word, be still and calm the storm. And the one who, if he chooses to leave the storm rage, promises he will never leave me. He will stay in the boat with me. We're going to get to the other side because that's what he said. Verse 12, and with a pillar of cloud, you led them by day with a pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. Then you came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven. You gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. God gives the the law to them. He shares his his heart with them, his his word for them. And again, it's, it's not to punish them. It's not to make their life miserable. It's not to hold them into a box. No, it is to bless them. Just ordinances, true laws, good statutes and commandments. Good for us as we follow them, as we, as we live them. David writes in, in Psalm 19, beginning in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous all together. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, much more than fine gold. Sweeter than honey and the dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Verse 14, so you made known to them your holy Sabbath. You laid down for them commandments, statutes, and law through your servant Moses. You provided bread from heaven for them for their hunger, and you brought water forth from a rock for them for their thirst. And you told them to enter in order to possess the land which you swore 
to give them. You provided everything for them, gave them everything, fed them, gave them water, gave them protection, led them to their, the promised land. Enter. The, here is what I've promised you. Verse 16, but, but they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandment. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds, which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. It's always dangerous to say, you know what? I'll believe God if he does this. All I need to see is a miracle. You talk about a God of miracles, just show me miracles. If God shows me a miracle, I'll believe. These, these children of Israel witnessed all of the miracles. They saw everything go on in Egypt. They were there when he parted the Red Sea. They were the ones panicking when, when here come the Egyptians and they're like, oh, what are we going to do now? We're, we can't go there. The water, we can't swim across. And here comes our enemy. And they turn around and there's Moses with his arms up and all of a sudden. And they walked through on dry land. No Hollywood movie could ever come close to what that experience must have been like. They get to the other side, they turn around, here comes, here comes Pharaoh's army after them, and the water comes in, boom. And then, you know, I'm getting a little hungry. There's no in and out anywhere around here. What are we going to do? You know, when we were back in Egypt, we had all this, oh, every day, God provides manna. They go, they go out this substance on the ground that, that they, they just pick up and they eat. And God said, hey, take only what you need for the day. Because if you take more than that, when you wake up tomorrow, it's going to be rotten and it's going to stink. And some of them tested him on that and it was rotten and it stank. But then here again, another miracle, right? He said, except on the day before the Sabbath, then you take two days worth because you can't, it's not going to be there tomorrow. You don't do any work on the Sabbath. So they get collected two days worth. And guess what? On the Sabbath, it didn't go rotten and stink. Every other day it did, just those days. We're getting a little thirsty though. Oh, here we go. We're in the middle of the desert. Where do you find water in the middle of the desert? From a rock. <laughs> Enough to, feed, to, to, to give water to millions. And they acted arrogantly and turned away. Don't, don't think that, oh, a miracle will make me believe. No, walk by faith. You want to see your miracle? Step out in faith and start following the Lord. They're everywhere. But if you're waiting for a miracle to bring you to that point, that won't do it. God does all of this for them, but they rebel, but they refuse to listen, but they became stubborn midway through verse 17. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and you do not forsake them. Is that how you see God? 
And that's something that just I'll leave that for each of you to kind of deal with in your own heart. Is that how you see God? Or do you see God as the one who wants to, again, come down on you for everything? I remember Christina used to tell me that when, when she was little, in, uh, in her grandma's room, there was, they had this big picture of, of Jesus on the wall. And she'd go in there, she's this little girl, and she'd go in there to pray, and she'd be praying, and then she'd look up, and just these, she said it was just like Jesus was glaring at her, you know. She, you know. But I think he, it, it's easy even for us to get into that, oh, Lord, I blew it. You must, you must be so disappointed in me. You must be so angry. You must be, oh, so ready to throw me out of the family. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious, and compassion, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and you did not forsake them. Verse 18, even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, this is your God who brought you up from Egypt and committed great blasphemies, you in your great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light them, light for them the way in which they were to go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. Your manna you did not withhold from their mouth, and you gave them water for their thirst. Even when, as again, as born-again believers, we have the Spirit of God in to guide us and to direct us. Never leaving us. God of great compassion and love and forgiveness. Verse 21. Indeed, 40 years you provided for them in the wilderness, and they were not in want. Not ever. They lacked nothing. 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years. Let it. Their clothes didn't wear out, nor did their feet swell. 40 years. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. 40 years, by the time they got there, the clothes they left Egypt with were back in style. And it hadn't worn out yet. You also gave them kingdoms of peoples. You allotted to them the boundary. They took possession of the land of of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan, giving them kingdoms. Who's the most famous giant in the Old Testament? See, I, I, I love it. I just, I, that's such a trick question. It's, he's famous to us. He's only met, Goliath is only mentioned six times by name in the Old Testament, and all of them during David's time. All, every, every time, it's, just, it's, all, it's all right there. I find that interesting. We, I think it's, such, it's he's so famous to us because of the story of David and Goliath, but he is nowhere close to the most famous giant to Jewish people in the Old Testament. This guy right here, Og, king of Bashan, He's mentioned 22 times in the Old Testament by name. And all the way back in Numbers chapter 21, it says this, verse, verse 33, 
Then they turned and went up by the way of Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, went out with all his people to battle at Edrai. But the Lord said to Moses, do not fear him, for I have given him into your hand and all his people in his land that you should, shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon. So they killed him and his sons and his people until there was no remnant left, and they possessed the land. That's back in Numbers chapter 21. And Og, by the way, made Goliath look like a shrimp. His, Deuteronomy 3 tells us that his sarcophagus, although it, it was either his bed or the, there's some debate as to whether it was the bed he slept in or the coffin he was buried in, was 13 feet, 5 inches long and 6 feet wide. And they're still talking about it in Nehemiah's day that God who defeats the giant, who wipes them out. Why did, why did God tell Moses, don't fear him? Because Moses feared him. <laughs> and who wouldn't? And that's the, the giants that we face in our life, the things that are insurmountable before us. God, don't fear them. I'm with you. I will protect you. I'll go before you. And like I said, this guy, Og, 22 times it's mentioned. Yeah, God took care of him. You made their sons as stars of heaven, not Og's sons, sons of the children of Israel. And you brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to enter and possess Verse 24 starts with the word, so their fathers entered and possessed. Again, you told them. It's because your word. You promised. Lord, you said it was going to happen, and it did. And guys, it always does. Always. And you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites. You gave them into their hand with the kings and the peoples of the land to do with them as they desired. They captured fortified cities in fertile land. They took possession of the houses full of every good thing, hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate, were filled, and grew fat, and reveled in your good greatness. You gave them everything. The land was awesome, just like you said when they finally went in and possessed it. It was everything that it was there. They grew fat, verse 26, but... They became disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back, killed your prophets who, you who had admonished them so that they might return to you, and they committed great blasphemy. They ate, were filled, and grew fat. For a while, for a moment, while they're in the midst of it, yeah, man, God is good. God is good. But eventually grew fat with it. Deuteronomy 32.15 says, but Israel grew fat and kicked. You've grown fat, thick, and sleek. Then you forsook God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. Things got good. Things got quote unquote easy. And they forsook God. Verse 27, therefore, because of that, you delivered them into the hand of their oppressors who oppressed them, but when they cried to you in the time of their distress, 
you heard from heaven. And according to your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who delivered them from the hand of their oppressors. But as soon as they had rest, they did evil again before you. Therefore, you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. Yet when they cried to you, you heard from heaven and many times you rescued them according to your compassion and admonished them in order to turn them back to your law. We saw that when we studied through the book of Judges, just this continual cycle over and over again of they, they turn away from God, they rebel against God, God sends uh, correction to them in the form of their enemies coming and, and kind of and taking over them. They cry out to God, God sends a deliverer, delivers them. Okay, great, praise the Lord. Oh, they walk, go away from God, turn their back on God. God sends correction again through the just this cycle over and over and over again. But notice many times you rescued them. Note, according to your compassion. Yet they acted arrogantly and did not listen to your commandments, but sinned against your ordinances, by which if a man observes, he shall live. Again, your laws, they're not cruel. They're not mean. If we follow them, if we live by them, that is where we have. We have prosperity. That is where we have life. That is where we have peace and joy. It's not to take that from us. It's to give it to us. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not listen. However, you bore with them for many years and admonished them by your spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the people of the land. This bringing us kind of up to their more recent history. The, the, the people coming in and taking them away. Nevertheless, in your great compassion, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. And we kind of bring this whole history of the people together up to this continually rebelling, continually rebelling. Finally, he, he has them taken away into captivity. But even in that, he done, didn't make an end to them, didn't forsake them. And as we talked at the beginning of Ezra, not to keep going back to that, but there was a time that he put on it. He even, he even said specifically who was going to be the king at the time before he was born. He was going to be the king at this time when he was going to, this was going to come to an end. And the time frame, 70 years, was prophesied, all of that. It was all meant, it had a purpose to bring them and to turn them back to the Lord. Now, verse 32, therefore, our God, the great and mighty and awesome God who keeps covenant and loving kindness, do not let all the hardship seem insignificant before you, which has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and on all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day. However, you are just in all that has come upon us. That there's nothing that we can complain about, that you haven't been fair or unjust. You've been just, completely just. For you have dealt faithfully, but we have acted wickedly. For our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments or to your admonitions with which you have admonished them. But they in their own kingdom 
with your great goodness which you gave them, with the broad and rich land which you set before them, did not serve you or turn from their evil deeds. Behold, we are slaves today. They were still in bondage of slavery at this time. And as to the land which you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty, behold, we are slaves in it. Its abundant produce is for the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They also rule over our bodies and over our cattle as they please. So we are in great distress. They've come to this point and crying out to them. I want to go back real quickly in verse 32. It says, therefore, our God, the great and mighty God and awesome God who keep covenant and loving kindness. Just as a a little homework for those of you who would choose to take it on, Hebrews chapters 8 through 10, a great, a grace I read through it a couple of times today, and I I knew we wouldn't have time to go through it in great detail, so I just want to touch on it a little bit, but it speaks of, again, God being a God of covenant, but there was a big problem with the covenant that we're, that we're speaking of, that they are saying, you're a God of covenant. There is a big problem with that covenant, and it's outlined for us in, at the beginning of chapter 8. It says, the author of Hebrews says this, beginning of chapter 8. Now, the main point is in what we have said is this. We have such a high priest, now speaking of Jesus, who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a majesty in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord has pitched, not man. And then he, he talks about how everything prior to that, the tabernacle that was built in the, in the wilderness, the temple that was built, the sacrificial system, all of that was a shadow of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf because he says this, verse six, but now he, the Lord, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. And then he goes on to say, for the first co- if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second, but finding fault with them, he says, see, the problem with the first covenant wasn't God. The problem with the first covenant was us, was the, was the children of Israel. We kept on seeing them continually falling, falling away, turning away. He says he's the mediator of a better covenant with better promises because the promises are all his. Continues, if you go through chapters, like I said, I encourage you to read all the way through chapter 8, chapter 9, and in chapter 10, it says this, um, by this will, by the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But he, having offered one sacrifice for the sin for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time, that time onward until his enemies would be made a footstool at his feet. Verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Perfected for all time. By one sacrifice, his sacrifice. 
perfected for all time. Those who are being sanctified, that's you and I. I just, I, I love this again because of the timing of what we're going through on the weekends in Romans chapter eight. Remember, it says, therefore, chapter one, or chapter eight, verse one, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because of the first covenant. No, because of the first covenant, we would all stand condemned. Because as much as we'd like to say, those crazy Israelites, what's the matter with them? Oh, isn't it enough after everything that God did for them and how gracious he's been for them that they would turn their back on him, that they wouldn't obey him in everything that they, what's the matter with them? It's easy for us to say that, isn't it? The mirror held right up in front of us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because of the new covenant that he's the mediator of. That's what Paul goes on to say. For the law of the spirit of the life of, in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The new covenant in Christ Jesus, the one who gave his life once for all for us, fulfilled the law. The new covenant based on new promise. And praise the Lord. He is the God who keeps covenant. Because of that, we know that the covenant promises in the new covenant are ours. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That is a covenant promise based on the new covenant. Like we, we talked this weekend, justified because of the new covenant, justified, we stand declared righteous before God, clothed in his righteousness. And because we are justified, we will be glorified. That is a covenant promise because of the new covenant. I so wanted to get into chapter 10. Now, because of all of this, we are making an agreement in writing and on the sealed document are the names of the leaders, our Levites and our priests. We'll pick it up there. I don't even, I don't even want to wade into chapter 10 with the few minutes we have left because there's some cool things that follow with this. Revival is taking place in the children of Israel here. And we'll see some of that stuff as we, as we move through in this. Again, as those under the new covenant, 
things that should be shown in our lives and in, in revival as it comes. And we pray, I know we pray for that all the time, right? Revival in the church, revival in the land, revival in that. That's what's taking place. And there's some great stuff there. But again, I don't even want to wade into that. We could read the names if you want. Or we could pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Oh, God, thank you for who you are. The creator, all-powerful, almighty God. The creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for revealing that truth to us. While the world around tries to find any other explanation, as to how this is all going on and how it all happened other than you. Lord, we thank you for revealing the truth to us. That it was by your word everything came into existence. And it is in your hand that all things are held together. Lord, we thank you we can come to you at any time. The one who created it all, the one who holds it all together. Lord, we know that you see everything. You see everything that we go through. You see everything that we do. Nothing escapes your notice. You hear every prayer. You intercede on our behalf when we don't know how to pray according to your perfect will. Lord, we thank you that though the enemy would like to convince us that you are a, a condemning and angry God, your word shows us that you are a compassionate and loving and forgiving God. Lord, we thank you for the new covenant in your blood poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you that you are a covenant keeper. Not because you choose to, but Lord, because you have to. It's who you are, your very nature. And because of that, Lord, we can hold on to the promises that you've given. Lord, I pray right now for anyone here tonight who's struggling with doubt, who's struggling with discouragement. Lord, that you would just minister to their heart. The truth of your word that we've studied. If that's you, you just, just go before God. He knows, he understands, but he desires to take you out of that place right now. You'll simply... Just confess where you are to him and trust. You're here tonight and you don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. I invite you to follow him. Give your life to him. He gave his life for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Who you are, who we are in you. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.